long last, it is another edition of Louisville Bats Franchise at 40, a podcast taking a look back at 40 years of baseball since it returned to Louisville and this franchise and some of the folks that have been instrumental in that time. After, uh, well, a skosh over a four-month hiatus, we are at last back with another episode. I'm Nick Curran. Thanks so much for being with us. We thank you. However, you are checking out the podcast today. Invite you to uh, leave a comment, like, subscribe, download, any of that stuff. Uh, plenty of ways to get it. You can go to SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. We're available in all of those places. And certainly thank you for finding it, for subscribing, and for enjoying uh, all the episodes we have had so far. Uh, at long last, Episode 7 is here, and we've said it really throughout the entire 2022 season on the radio broadcast of Bats Baseball and during uh, past episodes of this podcast, uh, a look back at this franchise's history wouldn't be complete without Rick Sweet. He was the manager of the Bats from 2005 to 2011, is currently the manager in AAA for the Milwaukee Brewers with the Nashville Sound, so uh, we get a chance to run across Sweetie a couple of times each season, and that's when we were able to record this one when Nashville was in town uh, toward the end of the 2022 season and uh, just last week as this podcast drops but um, great stuff great memories about various players uh, about his time in Louisville he certainly looks back at it fondly sweet the winningest manager in Louisville franchise history a 539 and 465 record as the manager of the bats managed more games than anybody in uh, franchise history over a thousand games managed 1004 and, of course, led the team to three straight IL West titles from 2008 to 2010 with some really good teams featuring some really good players who went on to become core guys uh, on Reds teams in sort of their recent heyday uh, back, you know, the 2010 division championship and then 2012 year as well. So uh, great to talk to him. Hope you enjoy this conversation and certainly someone that was essential to have on this podcast. And now, uh, if you're thinking, is it going to be four months before we hear another episode? Uh, hopefully not. The, the plan will be with the Bats' 150-game season finally winding down, planning to pump more of these out throughout the offseason before the 2023 season uh, as uh, obviously still celebrating 40 years of baseball here with the franchise beginning in 1982 uh, and celebrating that and celebrating technically the 40th season as well because uh, there was no 2020 season. So we'll continue to look back at the franchise's 40 years and and uh, continue hopefully with more episodes as we move along throughout the offseason. That will be the plan. And so this should not be the final episode. Hopefully it is uh, the re-beginning, if you will, of Louisville Bats franchise at 40. May not be every week, but hoping to uh, to bring them to you as often as possible throughout the course of the offseason and get you your baseball fix even uh, even during uh, the winter months. Without further ado, the winningest manager in franchise history, Rick Sweet, Episode 7, Louisville Bats, Franchise at 40. Our guest on this episode, obviously uh, this podcast series wouldn't be complete without the winningest manager in Louisville franchise history. It is Rick Sweet joining us. Really appreciate you uh, doing this while you're in town and uh, spending a little bit of time talking about your your years as the skipper here in Louisville. They were a fun seven years, I got to tell you. There's a, a lot of great memories. Uh, 
personal, you know, team-wise, organization-wise, but uh, 48 years I've been in professional ball, the best seven years I've had have been right here in Louisville. That is uh, that is awesome. Oh, what, what made the time here so special? Well, I, I think, number one, I enjoy my job, so, so that started out. Uh, I was working with the Reds at that time, and obviously, to me, the Cincinnati Reds treated me great. They were a great organization to work for. Uh, and then right here in Louisville, uh, Greg Galliette, who is still here, is a good personal friend. Uh, you know, it was was a tremendous guy to work with in Louisville and in the fans. We we led the league in attendance quite a few of those years. We won a lot of ball games. We had we had I still have a lot of people coming over and saying hi, people that, that I got to know here as as season ticket holders. So it, it was a combination of everything. I want to kind of start from from the beginning, I guess you, you finished playing and and coached in a number of different organizations and I, I guess the year before you had been with the Tigers how did you end up with the Reds in in 2005 and end up here in Louisville well uh it goes back to one one name Dan O'Brien Jr. uh Dan O'Brien was with Houston uh as the scouting director when I was with Houston I think I came over in 88 or 89 to Houston spent nine years there uh and then uh left left Houston Dan moved on also. Dan moved on. His next stop was was the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, and when he got hired here, he called me. I uh, wanted to know if I'd be interested in coming over to manage here in beautiful Louisville. I jumped at the opportunity, uh, worked for Dan, Dan here. And then, obviously, Dan moved on to Milwaukee. And that's the reason I wound up with Milwaukee is, uh, you know, Dan O'Brien. He's a class man, good man. Uh, I actually, his dad, Dan O'Brien Sr., was a GM in Seattle when I played with the Mariners. So uh, my whole career has pretty much uh, been intertwined with Dan O'Brien. That is, uh, that's great. It's, it's, it's the thread throughout the, the whole thing. Very cool. Um, you get here in Louisville, obviously you were here from 2005 to 2011, uh, which is, uh, I guess, by kind of AAA standards, that's a, that's a long tenure in yeah. one place, isn't it? It is. It's, uh, shoot, it's almost a long tenure for an organization, but to be in one spot, yes, yeah. it doesn't happen. And, and actually, that's what kind of led to me being pushed out. I didn't leave because I wanted to, but uh, we had a, a young uh, up-and-coming manager, David Bell, was in double A and had been in double A several years and he needed to move up. Uh, and, and what they did is they made me a coordinator, which in most people's eyes is a, is a step up. Um, you know, I didn't particularly want to, but I, I did it because the Reds had been so good to me. And, and, uh, so I, I became a, a catching coordinator, um, did that for two years. And I was getting ready for my third year when the, the Milwaukee opportunity came up to, to manage again, which is what I love to do, and, and so I took that opportunity. Yeah, and that's uh, and the rest sort of is history from there, as it were. Uh, Want to get to some 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 guys from, from your time managing, and I know you have a lot of stories about different people, but uh, first, it, is there is there any kind of favorite, uh, favorite maybe on or off field moment you have from your your time here? Well, I, on a positive light, it, it was the three years that we sure. won our division three years in a row. I mean, it was a <clears throat> tremendous group, and I'm sure we're going to talk about some of them. Yeah. Um, 
And and then probably the negative in that was the three losses to Durham all three years, sure. uh, which still sticks in my craw a little bit uh, because we had very good clubs and, and we just could not get through them to get into the championship round. But uh, probably those, that, the positive and the negative, all center around the three years that, that we won our division. 08, 09, and 10. 08 and 09 were pretty big uh, wins in terms of games. 2010 was only won it by a game. It came right down to the end. Any of those three stand out more than the others? No, I don't think so because they were different years. Sure. Uh, you know, it, every team is, is so different. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing I, I strive to do is is I try to form my management style or managing style around the type of players I have. Um, if I have speed, I use speed. If I don't, I don't. I, I try to try to – you know, get that figured out in spring training so that I know what kind of club we're going to be. But, uh, you know, as as far as things going on, I, I I have to say probably the biggest game I remember because it just popped in my head when you asked that question was uh, uh, the first year that we won the championship. Toledo had won it two or three years in a row sure. before us. And we could not beat Toledo. We would be ahead in the game, and they'd come back late and beat us. It was an ongoing thing for a couple of years. Um, and then that, that final year, I remember we're playing in Toledo, and we're ahead in the game all the way till about the eighth inning. They score two, three, four runs and take the lead again. And, and it was a game that it was like, oh, God, here we go again. Well, I can remember Adam Rosales stepped up with a couple guys on base, and he hit a home run in Toledo uh, to left center field. And I still, if we were there, I could point at almost exactly where that ball hit. But when he hit it, it was like, okay, guys, this is we're we're finally we're coming back now. And that's when the whole the whole mood changed for our clubhouse. It changed on the field, and and that's when we dominated for the the next three years. Um, but I remember that home run by Adam Rosales, and Rosie and I talk every once in a while, and I always bring up that, and he, and he remembers it well too, and I'm sure all the guys that were on that club remember that home run because, you know, Rosie, he doesn't walk around the bases. He sprints, and by the time he sprinted around those bases, the whole team was out there ready to meet him because it was a huge home run. Yeah, I, I heard Jim Kelch and I believe Matt Andrews both bring that one up, uh, so that's that's funny. It, it's It's something that – you know, I, I doubt if the three of us have talked about it, uh, you know, Kelch and Andrews, but but that home run was was memorial for, for us. That's, uh, that is awesome, a great memory. Uh, well, want to jump into some of those guys, and we can start with Adam Rosales. He was, he was obviously on the list, and uh, I, I think a lot of fans, he became known for the sprint around the bases, oh, but yeah. – uh, uh, some memories from him, other other than that huge home run. You know, you know, I, I'll tell you, Adam. Adam was the type of prospect when you broke him down uh, physically. He he didn't have something that just stood out to say, "Oh, this guy's definite for sure a, a big leaguer." He made himself a big leaguer, and he got quite a few years in the big leagues because he played the game the right way. He played the game hard. He didn't have one tool that you, you know, speed, power, batting average. It, he didn't have one thing. He just had a little bit of all of them. And he got the most out of every bit of his ability. Tremendous teammate, and he the big moment. He he was good at the big moment. Yeah. Then uh, you you mentioned the big one there as well. Uh, going back a little bit, rewinding uh, from those division teams, division champion teams to uh, an earlier one. Uh, he is the bats hitting coach now. 
want to ask you about Alex Pelias and managing him as a player. I love the plumber. He's probably one of my top five players as far as uh, uh, people that I've had play for me over the years. I've always been, uh, always had a, a special connection with him. He played for me with the Padres. Uh, that's where he got his big league time uh, w- with San Diego. We were in Portland, Oregon uh, yep. at that time. And as far as a clutch hitter, he he is one of the better clutch hitters I had and and knew how to hit. He he would pick things up off pitchers, played the game the right way. Like I said, all the things that you want a guy to do. Um, but but I remember him as that clutch hitter. I could rely on him, and that's something in baseball. If when you feel that that's the guy that you can rely on, uh, you know that's that's what Alex was. He's he's again tremendous baseball player. As soon as I came over here, he was one of the first people I talked to Dan about. I said, hey, we got to get this guy over here, not to help the big league club so much, okay? But but he's the type of guy we want to build this AAA club around. And, and he's the type of guy, and he's still a coach. He's a tremendous coach because he, he played the game the right way and knows how to teach it. Yeah, incredible hitting coach. So much fun to be around him and, and watch him. Really is. Yeah. Um, well, we mentioned Adam Rosales. He's a guy that's that's kind of a staple here, I think, when people think of this franchise. Maybe the guy in terms of a player is Corky Miller. Um, and I, I know you have plenty of history with Corky, including bringing him back Largely you into the Reds organization. How'd you hear that story? You told me, and okay. he and he told me. Okay, I, right. you know, Corky was playing with the White Sox. Uh, he had just been sent down from the big leagues, and I didn't know Corky before this. But I, as soon as Corky got sent down, he he uh, he and I have a something very much in common. That's our mustaches. Yes. Uh, well, that's that's not true. At that time, his was much bigger than mine. But but Corky came down uh, to back to AAA in Charlotte. And he wasn't going to get to play much. I had an outfielder that wasn't going to get to play much. So I called our minor league director and said, hey, what if, what if we tried to call the White Sox? Let's try to make this trade. We need a catcher. They need an outfielder. He goes, oh, there's no way they'd do that. There's no way they'd give a big leaguer up because at that time the guy I wanted to trade was really a triple-A, maybe future major league guy. And uh, I said, well, let's at least try. I mean, you know, Corky's got nowhere to go. And and they called, and White Sox said, yeah, we'll do that. And bang, that next day he was over with us. And a tremendous, tremendous individual. Again, plays the game the right way, knows the game. Quality baseball man, that's that's the type of guy. I always look for those type of guys to, to be my leaders in the clubhouse and be the leaders on the field. And, and Corky was that way. I always could trust him. I always knew that whatever he was doing was the right thing to make the club better. And he was part of all that. He was part of all, all of our championships. He was involved in it. Uh, and, and again, one of the guys that, as soon as you mentioned his name, put a smile on my face. And uh, now is the, the catching coordinator in the organization. It's great to see him. And now I think you do probably have him beat in I, terms I, of the mustache. I'm working on that. You know, yeah. it's taken me a lot of years, but I've got a lot of years on him. Uh, to have worked on it. Well, congratulations on on that. Uh, some other guys uh, talked to to Corky about this guy. We had Corky on several months ago when we were in Columbus, and um, a guy that that was a staple around here on the mound was was one Homer Bailey. Yeah. Obviously, a guy that ended up having a, a great big league career, a couple of no hitters, but but he was uh, he was seemingly here in a Louisville uniform either 
here or on rehab a bazillion years. Yeah, Corky or Corky. Uh, uh, Homer was was an interesting individual and and very much a a thorn in my side. <laughs> uh, and I love I love Homer and, and he likes me. We get along very very well. Uh, but at that time he was young. He was a number one draft pick, uh, and he wanted to do things his way. And his way didn't always wasn't always conducive to the baseball way. So we we had to we had to find our way with each other. But I all what I always remember with with Homer is number one tremendous competitor. I'll tell you what I'll take him to battle any day of the week. He just had to learn how to control that and command that that competition that competitive edge he had. But he he we the years he was with me we weren't allowed to throw many pitches. Uh, I I don't I think ninety to a hundred pitches, and you know Homer would would. At 90 pitches, it'd be in the fourth, fifth inning. Well, when we got to that that limit, I got to go out and get him. So I would always walk out to the mound, and I I learned how I was going to have to handle this. I'd get there. I said, Homer, we'll talk about this after the game. I said, I'm going to put my hand out. When I put my hand out, you're going to put the ball in my hand. And I'd put my hand out, and I'll tell you what, it was a firm ball in hand. He goes, (laughs) you say the same thing every time, and he'd walk off the mound. And we talked about it after the game. He'd come in my office, be furious. He goes, I'm not even getting loose at 90 pitches. And I said, Homer, it's the way the organization's built. I'm going to follow what the organizational policies are. And and then I'd call my boss and say, hey, you know, is there any way we can up this kid uh, and, and give him a little bit? Well, the answer was no almost all year. Well, we got to the end of the year, and, and they, they started to, to expand it a little bit to 100 hundred and maybe 10 pitches at the most. Well, now we're getting into the fifth inning, maybe the sixth inning, but he's still, he's still hot when I come out there. And, and then one game they said, okay, you can tell him before the game, he's got 120, I think it was 120 pitches. Wow. And, and you know, this is the game. So I told him, I said, okay, today you got 120 pitches. Use them. Let's see what you got. Well, he started that game. He pitched a complete game uh, on pitch 119-120. I mean, he was down to the limit. But the key is the last 30 fastballs he threw were much higher than the first ones. He, Like he always said, it took him a while to get totally loose. He had better velo at the end of the game. And over the course of his career, uh, that, that stayed true most of the time. He, he just tremendous competitor. And, and like I said, when I walked on, walked out for a game and Homer Bailey was on the mound, I knew I was going to get 100% of everything he had. And usually that was pretty dang good. Probably why he was able to throw a couple no-nos being better at the end of the game than at the beginning. Exactly. That is uh, uh, great stuff. Uh, staying on the mound, a guy who was obviously very high profile and making his way to the United States was a role Chapman. Uh, debuting here with with the bats, and there was a, obviously a lot of attention surrounding that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that that one was that that one. A lot of stories with that one. When they signed him, uh, it was a big deal for the Reds to to get him because uh, a lot of clubs wanted him, and we gave him a lot of money. Well, if you look at his first numbers when he first started, he wasn't too good of a pitcher as a starter. And, and I think we probably went through half the year where he started and literally he'd throw sometimes two, three, four innings and be done. 
and, uh, you know, throw balls behind people's heads. And it, it was, and, and the organization was starting to take some heat. And so we decided, okay, let's, let's see if we can shorten this up a little bit. Let's put him in the bullpen and, and see if we can start getting some, some shorter stints out of him and, and get better command. So we moved him and, and actually I, w- I would have to say, and you know, I don't work for the Reds anymore. It was more of trying to save face than anything else because he was, he was that bad as a starter. Well, he started throwing one inning stints. We'd pitch him one day and and give him a day or two off, pitch him again. Well, he'd come in and blow people away. And it, it was pretty impressive. And I, I, I called the bosses and I said, hey, you know, he's kind of liking this. this. This is not a bad thing. Can we start moving him later in the game? And and they said, yeah, go ahead, but don't do it too fast. We want to, He's having success. We want to keep – we were all on the same page. And by the end, end of that season, he was our closer. And we had found Araldus Chapman's niche was he, he was a short man. He, he was a, a closer. Uh, you know, and then, of course, you know, we went through the whole thing. You know, he, he being from Cuba, uh, trying to teach him how to feed himself. Sure. How to show up on time. He had three or four phones. Uh, you know, we, we could not. He, he was late all the time. He, he was so used to everything being done for him and being told when you can leave the house, when you can do this. Uh, we, we basically had to teach him how to take care of himself. And uh, while we were doing that, he was pitching on the field. But uh, ever, ever since then, he was, he was a great kid. Uh, he always meant well. He, he just had to learn how to be free. And he also had to learn how to pitch. And, and He's made a good career for himself. He's he's a great young man. I really enjoyed Aroldis. It has definitely worked out uh, worked out pretty darn well for him. Uh, a couple of others from the mound while we're on pitching. Uh, a guy who people watch on TV a lot now is Sam LeCure, uh, working in the Reds' TV booth. Obviously, uh, became a huge part of their bullpen for quite a few years, and uh, and you had him here in Louisville. I love Sam. I I still text with him. I I listen to him. You know, because he's a fiery guy, sure, and and he has a tendency to to not be negative, but be be mad, always, never never happy, not not a happy type guy, uh, because he was so competitive, and and he was a starter for me, and and really struggled, and and we had, God, I can't think of the guy's name. We had a pitcher on the club that was dominating. In fact, was the pitcher of the year, I think, that year on the team, and. Uh, uh, you know, Sam couldn't figure out they had the same pitches, but this guy would go out and dominate. Sam would pitch two days later and get knocked out in the third, fourth, fifth inning. And so I, I told him, I said, you need to start watching how he pitches. He doesn't overthrow, he underthrows. He, you know, sometimes you try to do too much and you get less. You know, trying to do more doesn't always get you what you want. So he, he, he did. He started watching him pitch. He started you know, following how he pitched guys on, on the same team. And all of a sudden, cause his stuff was better. Uh, all of a sudden he was, he was getting wins. He was winning. And, and so he, you know, he learned a little bit about himself that, that harder is not always better. Uh, but like I say, I, I really like, I, I listen to him a lot. I watch, I watch the Brewers number one. Okay. But a lot of times the, there's not all of, the second club I watch is the Reds. I still talk to David Bell, Benavides, all the guys, all the coaches sure. in the big leagues. 
they're, they were all part of my time here. And uh, I, I spend a lot of time while I've been listening to, to LeCure and, and really like the positive uh, approach he's yeah. taken talking about the players. And I've called him several times or text him. I say call, but I've texted him and say, hey, I like, the, I like what you said about Green uh, right there. Because I said, this guy's an up and coming, but he's struggling at times. And, and Sam always had the positive input. He always had the, the, the idea that if you're a fan listening, you think this guy's going to be a good pitcher. I like that about Sam. He's done a great job for the Reds uh, as far as being that, that positive voice that, that the fans need to hear. Yeah, he no doubt that has been a, a phenomenal kind of niche he's found uh, on their broadcast. Um, uh, moving uh, along into some hitters, uh, Joey Votto is a guy that that uh, you had come through. Obviously, speaking of broadcast, now he's uh, he's hanging out with the fans in the stands last night. Has done a couple of games on TV. Uh, his personality really showing through the last couple of years, and uh, you had him as a youngster. I had him as a youngster, and and I can remember uh, Joey was. Very stubborn uh, in, 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 in how he approached the game. And, and uh, you know, he went through some tough times in the minor leagues because of that stubbornness. But stubbornness also is a positive. Uh, and for him, ultimately, it, it turned out to be a positive. But I, I can remember the, the one, well, a couple of quick stories about Joey. I, I remember, and I'm looking, you know, at the field right now, Joey used to, if the ball was hit when he was playing first, if the ball was hit to to the uh, middle of the field, he would go after the ball, and it would it would be literally, you know, if the second baseman were playing a left-hander to pull, be straight at the second baseman, and Joey'd be running full speed trying to backhand it. Well, that's a tough play for the pitcher to get over there and to cover. So I, I showed Joey one time. I drew a line in the dirt out there, and I said, all right. This is where the line is. Now, it won't be there in a the game, but for now, this is the line in, in, in practice. Don't go past that line for a ground ball. Well, you know, it wasn't two days later. Now, this is Joey Votto. This is how he thought and how he did things. Ball's hit. He goes over there. He gets to the line and stops and lets the ball go. I said, Joey. He said, you said don't go past the line. I didn't go past the line. It, it, throwing it right back in my face. I said, all right, Joey. I said, I, I get where you're going with this. I said, the line is an imaginary line. You know, it, it's just something to think about. And he just, you know, he just stared at me and just said, okay, yeah, all right. So you had to be careful with what you told Joey because he would take it right to the line and stop. Uh, but another time, I remember in spring training. Now, this, this was when he was just starting to play uh, at first base or starting to play in big league camp and getting sure. ready to go to the big leagues. And he was struggling with pop-ups. And and he asked me after spring training, uh, after practice, after the game, we, we, we went inside and he goes, hey, could you do some pop-ups, we'll set up a machine, we'll do some pop-ups. I said, yeah, I'll go get it now. He goes, no, no, after everybody's gone. So we, we hung around at the ballpark in, in uh, Goodyear and waited for everybody to go. I set up a machine at home plate, and he started catching pop-ups. We were out there for over an hour. He wound up catching pop-ups in first base, foul territory, behind first base. He wound up, he goes, let's do some over here on third base. He's still playing first base, doing pop-ups on this side of the field just in case that third baseman didn't see it. 
he wanted to come all the way across to make sure this is the perfection and the, the work habits that Joey Votto had. Um, and he didn't want to do it in front of people. He didn't want everybody to know, but he, he wanted to put the work in. And, and I still remember that. And the last couple he caught were in foul territory on the third base side. Uh, I don't know what happened to the catcher and the third baseman and the pitcher, but they became non-entities. Joey Votto was going to catch that ball. And, and uh, so every time I see him go for a pop-up, I think about that. Wow. Legendary uh, stuff that he's – stories of him yeah. working at spring training. And he can hit. Yeah. That, that man, he was dedicated to, to, to the, the sport – and, and he was a perfectionist and tremendous, tremendous worker. And it does not seem like much has changed over uh, the years. No, it, it won't. You don't change that kind of attitude. Yeah. Uh, Jay Bruce is another guy that you had, and, and obviously he went on to an incredible big league career. Yeah, Jay Bruce was, was a fun – he was a kid. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't old enough to drink when he, when he came up. I, I remember specifically one home run he hit. Uh, was in Norfolk, and, and he hit it to left center. And when he hit it, I thought, okay, that might get to the fence. Uh, well, it not only was over the fence, it hit the bank, and, and it was still on a rise when it, when it left his bat. He hit some balls wow. a long way. But, uh, you know, Joey was young, and, and he made mistakes. And, and they were always aggressive mistakes. But I remember playing here uh, in Louisville, and, Ball hit the center field, and he comes in, feels the ball. He comes up to throw home. He missed the cutoff man. He missed the catcher. He missed the pitcher backing up. It was halfway up the screen behind home plate. Wasn't the first time he's thrown the ball that that bad. Uh, tremendous arm. I mean, when yeah. I say bad, it's just accuracy. So I'm, I'm going down after the inning. I'm going down, and I quietly bend over, and I said, J.B., you got to hit the cutoff, man. I said, you got to quit missing the cutoff, man. You got You got to get the ball down. I took about two or three more steps, and he goes, "I'm not trying to miss him," and and I stopped. And I remember looking. I had about three veteran players right at the end of the dugout, and their eyes kind of got big because he said it real snotty to me. And I remember backing up, putting my head down, quietly saying again, "Next time you miss a cutoff, man, like that, I'm benching you." And I'm benching you for days. And got up, went to home plate, or went to third base to finish the inning. Well, after the game, uh, we won the game. And I uh, saw so everybody's, you know, happy and we're in the, and <coughs> you know our clubhouse, the eating area all the way in the back. Sure. Well, I, I get up and I'm, I'm headed back to the eating area and I get back there and most of the guys are back there. And JB is sitting all by himself over in the corner. All, all, all by himself because he's still not happy with, you know, what I had to say. And I, so I get in there and I'm getting ready to get the food and I see JB over there. I said, JB, I said, you still mad at me? And and everybody gets real quiet. You know, they're waiting for the answer. And, and he goes, sweetie, he goes, nobody's yelled at me like that since my mom. And the whole place cracked up. So, so obviously we got it taken care of. Well, it turned out his mom showed up a week later. And his mom, when I met her, that was the first time I met her. She said, anytime you need help yelling at him, she goes, you go ahead and give me a call. I'll come in and help you. So, you know, that he was, I think he was 19, maybe just yeah. turned 20. Uh, he was a young kid and nobody had ever yelled at him. And I didn't yell at him. It was quietly, but it was firm. 
It was firm. It was firm. Uh, that's it. Uh, how about Todd Frazier, a guy that obviously became a fan favorite here and then in Cincinnati? You know, Frazier was it was incredible. Uh, that man had a way of being in the middle of everything and played the game hard, uh, was was a true baseball from Little League, obviously went in two – I think they won two Little League World Series – uh, you know, he had a brother that played. I remember it, it was a family thing. Yep. It, it was, you know, Todd Frazier was a family thing. And and my son at that time was probably six, seven years old, and he hung around all these guys. Well, uh, you know, Todd Frazier played the game the right way all the time. That's why the Reds won so many so many years with this group of core group of guys and a few more I'm sure we're going to talk about because they played the game the right way. They played the game as a team. They did what was best for the team. They were not individuals. It was not all about them. It was about us and, and what we were trying to do. And Todd was a big, big part of that. And, you know, Todd won the, the uh, home run hitting contest. Yep. Well, when he won that, my son was probably 15, 14, 15. Well, over the years, Seth, my son, had stayed in touch with a lot of these guys. So it's, it, you know, he wins it. They're giving him the award. Well, Seth sends him a text message. You know, hey, congrats. That was awesome to watch. But we didn't expect to hear back. Within two, three minutes after he was done talking about it, he sent him back a text. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Wow. And, you know, it just stuff like that that, that stands out, that, that the, the baseball world and the baseball family that we're all part of, uh, we're still part of it. I, I haven't talked to Todd in – probably three, four, five years, but I bet I could I could send him a message right now and he wouldn't hesitate to get back and we'd catch up and it would be like old times. All these guys we've talked about, we're a very close-knit family in the sport itself, but even more so when you've been together and been through the trenches like we have, uh, both winning and losing and competing, uh, you have that special family feel. Yeah, a long season. Getting through it is uh, is definitely something that brings you together. Um, how about Zach Cozart? He's another guy that, you know, that was part of that core you talked yeah, about. Yeah, really, really was, and and I I am still in touch with Zach a lot. Uh, and and he kind of he kind of was the your shortstop's always that that rock. You you got to have a shortstop is is the this isn't sound right, but it is the most special person on the field. You, if you have a quality shortstop, he he doesn't make mistakes. He's the rock. And when they do make a mistake, because let's face it, it's not a sport that you're perfect in, it's almost like, oh, God, he is human. He, he does miss balls every now and then. And and Zach was that way. Uh, quiet, quiet individual. Not, not loud like some of these other guys. Very quiet, very solid, played the game the right way. Uh, definitely got the most out of his talent. And and he was somebody that we we started uh, the the organization. Uh, you start with that shortstop, and he did a great job. And you know, tr- again, all these guys, tremendous family people. They they've all you know they're they're family people off the field and quality baseball people on the field. And Zach definitely fit that. Uh, don't want to take too much more of your time, but um, a, a guy who's well is in the coaching game, managed the AAA. Uh, out west and uh, and was a fan favorite here for a number of years, obviously with the Reds too. Spider-Man, Christopher Negron, a guy that uh, that you had who's who's kind of 
another great family man, as you mentioned, and, and a guy who's gone on to, to get into the managing game. Yep, without a doubt. And, and Negron, is, uh, <clears throat> I've stayed very close in touch with him. Uh, does a great job. There's a guy that really went over and above uh, what his talent level was as far as a player. He was always a manager and a leader on the field as a, as a, as a coach. You looked at him as a coach on the field, somebody that you could rely on, give him something, hey, make sure we get this done or, or do this, and you knew it was going to get done. And, and that's a great name because guys like that are what put you over the top. You always have your superstars, but you got to have guys like Negron that, that they put you over the top. They're the ones that play the game the right way, fill, fill the needs that you have at that time, which he did, infield, outfield, did not matter, and always had a smile on their face and were happy to be at the ballpark. Uh, no doubt. It was great to get to know him when he was here uh, for, for a number of years. Uh, I haven't asked you about Devin Mezzarocco. He was a guy that uh, we talked about. Corky as a catcher earlier. Uh, Mez, another key catcher over the years for the Reds in your time here. Yeah, Mez, you know what? He got the most out of his talent. When we first got him, uh, we signed him as a 17-, 18-year-old uh Ponsatani. Uh, Ponsatani, yeah, indeed. Yeah, see, I, 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 I know my guys. Uh, I was really worried about him. We were all worried about him. He made himself into a very good catcher. He worked very, very hard. Uh, we needed to get rid of the gloves he initially brought in. Uh, we need, I won't name the company, but, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, we, we felt that the problems he had were leaning towards his the gloves as much as, as him. An struggling. equipment issue. So wow. uh, we got that changed after a few years. And uh, But what what a what a rock. What a, a, a guy behind the plate that just took the abuse and kept coming and got the most out of his ability. Smart young man, uh, called great games, cared about his pitchers, cared about his pitchers. And that's, uh, that's certainly what you're looking for in a catcher. Really appreciate the time. There's so many names could go on and on and on and on and, and, and don't want to take too much of your time. But want to just you've gotten to come back here. You talked about it a little bit uh, as we record this, your second trip here this year in 2022, a couple of times last year in 2021. What's it just like coming back here now that you're a, a lot of years removed from being here, obviously, and you've been with the Brewers for a long time, but – What's it like just getting the chance to come back? Well, you know, I, I have such great memories here. In, in fact, the year that they moved me out, uh, we had put money down on a house. Uh, we had my son enrolled in, in a school here. We were moving here. We were going we, we to move here and make this our permanent home. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, you know, I was kind of blindsided and, and moved out. So that alone tells you how much, how we thought of, of Louisville as, as a family, we wanted to raise our son here. Um, but to come back and, and see all of this and it's changed since I was here, you know, we've taken out there in right field, a, a lot of seats that used to be out there. We've taken them out, uh, made, made the park smaller as far as, as fans. Uh, but it's still beautiful. You know, Thunder over Louisville is still a highlight for me. We had some great times with with Thunder over Louisville. Uh, I I became very close with the University of Louisville, the baseball program there. Uh, I spent a lot of time out there, and I had a couple of guys, Maloney and and Zach Cozart, played for him in college. Uh, So I I, just special special, uh, feelings about this city. Uh, Out of all the places I go, uh, this is the one place, and I don't. I think we only come back here once next year because we're, right. which which 
you know, it, I, I'm sorry to say, but uh, nothing but great memories here. And, and, and that's based on the fans and, and Greg Galliott and the people that we had here. Uh, it was a great run. It was a great seven years. Uh, we were always competitive. We were always there. And the, and the Reds have to get a lot of credit with that. The Reds, you know, really uh, do a good job. And, and, you know, I'm sure I know it's a little bit down right now. That won't last long. They'll, they'll get it going again because I know their minor league system is, is ranked pretty high again. That means some of those guys will be getting here and, and uh, they'll, they'll get back to some winning ways. We are due here in, the, in this part, but it's been a pleasure to talk to you. So many people uh, around here that, that were here when, when you were managing still speak so highly of you, and you talked about Greg and, and so many others. Just a, a pleasure to talk to you, and thanks for spending some time, and well, look forward to seeing you in March. We'll well, be opening there in Nashville next year in March. We'll, we'll have fun with that. Well, that'll be fun. I'll look forward to it. All right, fantastic stuff with, uh, with Rick Sweet. Just so many stories and, and great insight into so many of the players that, that he managed in the Reds organization and his, in his time at Louisville. Uh, so much fun to hear so many uh, of those stories. And we could have gone on and on and on. I think he could have probably uh, – I could have thrown names at him and he could have gone on about each guy for three hours if we wanted to. But uh, hit some highlights and um, there were – trust me, I don't know, 20 more names on the on the paper in front of me. But uh, but had to cut it off somewhere and, and on a game day. Certainly appreciate uh, Rick sitting down and, and spending some time with us reminiscing about – uh, some great years, some great success on the field. Obviously, great memories off the field for him as well. Uh, looks back very fondly on his time in Louisville and in the Reds organization and was great to uh, to hear him talk about a lot of things about this place from over the years. Again, we invite you to like, subscribe, download, uh, in, and uh, listen to the podcast however you can. We are planning on, like I said in the intro, getting this back up and going on a much more regular basis without a four-month hiatus. Hoping to uh, put out episodes every week or two. Probably won't be weekly, but at least uh, fairly often throughout the course of the offseason as we continue to bring you interviews and stories of uh, people that played an instrumental role and have played an instrumental role in this franchise's history over the years. We certainly thank you for tuning in. Until next time, it is Louisville Bats Franchise at 40. I'm Nick Curran. We will catch you on the next episode, not four months away. Thanks again. We'll talk to you then.